You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC has seen it all in recent days, from snow to freezing rain, and now you can add flooding to the mix. A king tide amplified by heavy rain has overwhelmed low-lying areas. Aaron MacArthur is live in Vancouver with more on the high water. Aaron? Yeah, Sophie, I mentioned this at five. I just want to reiterate for the viewers. We're standing on the seawall here in Yaletown, and, and this was where the water was this morning. Just about these letters, like three railings high, and that's significantly higher than the water level is normally. I mean, I think people get the idea that the tide comes up. People this morning taken off guard by how quickly it came up and how high it got. Roughed up by winds and one of the highest tides of the year, Boundary Bay was knocking at the door for homeowners in Beach Grove. Seawalls taking the brunt of the water and debris, the ocean coming in faster than some people were comfortable with. We're a little nervous because insurance won't cover uh, salt water damage. The corporation of Delta watching the situation closely. King tides expected all week. Crews filling sandbags. Any shift in direction or an increase in wind speed could mean the difference between storm watching and bailing out basements. We've been pre fully prepared for this. We're at stage three insofar as our emergency flood preparedness plan. The tide did push into downtown Squamish Tuesday. Water affecting businesses at the south end of Cleveland Avenue. Pumps running to clear basements. And owners preparing for the possibility of more water. We got a good few inches in there scattered out throughout the whole store. so. We've uh, suffered a bit of damage. We're going to be putting um, sandbags and poly in areas to keep the water out of the building. Environment Canada putting out a weather advisory for Tuesday, predicting with some confidence coastal areas could see localized flooding. Along Spanish banks, the water deep enough to create unsafe driving conditions. Downtown Vancouver saw unusual water pooling as well. Knee deep in Coal Harbour, the city saying it was related to king tides not plugged catch basins. Water was over the seawall too, from Yale Town to Stanley Park. Not quite deep enough to stop bicycles. The park board closing off the seawall past Second Beach, but tweeting out the repairs were holding up to the extra water and waves. While many low-lying areas dodged the worst of the flooding Tuesday, still three more king tides to come. The risk of flooding not done yet. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, that brings me to my next question, Aaron. The high tide has receded, but are residents in the all clear? No, it, it, as I said in the story, there are more king tides to come. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the tide chart shows tides well above four and a half meters. I think it peaked somewhere on four and a half today. It could be as high as 4.7, 4.8 meters over the next three days, and that increases the risk of flooding. Again, if the wind changes direction or there's any kind of storm surge, there could be some localized flooding again. People are going to need to keep an eye on what's going on over the next three days. All right, thanks for that. Aaron MacArthur reporting in Yaletown tonight.
Well, the heavy rain certainly isn't helping in some of those low-lying areas. And meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now. Yvonne, when do we catch a break from the rain? We've got a brief break, actually, as we get in towards the morning hours tomorrow and through the afternoon. But it's still heavy at times through this evening, so a heads up. We still have an additional 10, potentially up to 20 millimetres across the lower mainland. Rainfall warning that is in effect includes the North Shore Mountains extending in towards the Tri-Cities, up and towards Howe Sound. And the wind warning also to note along the western edge of the island, extending in towards Victoria where we could see some of those gusts over 100 kilometers per hour. Still the big concern though will be the potential for localized flooding, water pooling on the roads, high river levels and those winds. We could see some power outages. We'll be tracking them across the island this evening with those gusts over 100 kilometers per hour. We do have some snowfall in the forecast if you're traveling along the mountain passes. We've got this brief break but then in behind it the next weather maker will have the timeline and some of the amounts coming up very shortly. Chris. Okay we'll check in later. Thanks Yvonne. And Seattle has also been dealing with flooding today. King tides triggered a flood watch and the combination of rising water from the Duwamish River and the recent heavy rain submerged an industrial park. Emergency crews have been responding to many flood-related emergencies. Gusts of up to 90 kilometers an hour were forecast to hit the Seattle area into tomorrow morning. Friends and family of one of the victims of the deadly bus rollover on Christmas Eve are remembering a man devoted to his family. As Kristen Robinson reports, the crash is also sparking questions about road safety and whether the province should have closed the highway. He used to stand there and make samosas, we make samosas. The kitchen at Kismet Estate Winery's Masala Bistro empty. Staff devastated over the loss of their chef, Karanjot Singh. When he joined us, we thought like we formed a perfect team here. That was something special, what we had. The 41-year-old came to Canada four months ago, settling in Oliver as he worked to bring his wife and two young children here from India. The only dream that he had was uh, to get his family here. He missed them a lot. He finally uh, felt like everything was coming into place. Days away from taking his English exams to become a permanent resident, Singh was one of 45 passengers on board a Vancouver-bound e-bus when it rolled over on an icy stretch of Highway 97C east of Merritt on Christmas Eve. Dozens were injured. Four passengers, including Singh, did not survive. The winery forced to break the news to his family in Punjab. After five minutes, she called me. Called me, brother, can you bring my husband back? So I didn't have an answer for that question. The worst highway in the Canada. Singh was heading to Surrey to spend the holidays with his cousin, a trucker who questions the province's road maintenance. The government did not take care of their the highways. BC's transportation minister says drivers were warned about winter conditions on the Okanagan connector. Road maintenance crews were on site uh, plowing, salting, sanding uh, the road throughout. They regularly report uh, to the ministry about the conditions they're observing. Precipitation, which was quite low, throughout the day and including at the time of this tragic accident. They clean always after crash, not clean before. RCMP are investigating the fatal collision while Singh's colleagues remember the cheerful chef who was so excited to see his first snow, he sent these photos to his wife. There will be always a void, you know, we'll be missing him. You can get people to work for you, but getting a people of that kind is difficult. There's a, there's a space uh, in everybody's hearts, everybody was close to that nobody can fill. Uh, that's never going to go away, but um, I think he'd want us to be happy, so uh, we'll try to do that. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
And one person was injured in an early morning car fire in Vancouver. This vehicle burst into flames around 6.30 this morning while parked near West 4th and Vine. Ten firefighters responded to the blaze. One patient was taken to hospital with what are described as minor burns. The cause is under investigation. Residents of a North Vancouver apartment building were woken up very early this morning to alarms and thick smoke when a fire started in a third floor unit. Grace Key has the details. An early morning fire at a North Vancouver high-rise apartment sends two people to hospital and 70 more fleeing for safety. I was sleeping and it was about quarter after four. I woke up to a whole lot of noise and, and then I got out of bed and the fire alarm was going. I saw the, like the, like the massive smoke is just coming up and I checked which floor it is, but I saw it, it was, I could, I could say it was like, like second floor or third floor. And I saw it's it's really bad. I should go out of the like the house. The fire broke out at about 4:15 Tuesday morning in a third floor unit at 1959 Marine Drive. Two people from the unit were rushed to hospital. They remain in stable condition. A firefighter also suffered minor injuries. Uh, the fire was fully involved in that suite on the uh, crew's entry. Um, we had black smoke to the to the floor. Uh, and the fire was vented, self-vented out the rear of the building. The residents gathered at Lionsgate Community Recreation Center where support services were offered. Those on the lower level of the apartment complex are worried, not knowing what they will be returning to. I'm on the third, or second floor. And where was the fire? The third floor, oh, wow. right above me, I believe. Right above you? Yeah, because so water was just pouring down my ceiling, so. The third floor unit where the fire started has extensive damage. The cause of the fire is under investigation it's not considered suspicious. Grace Key, Global News. RCMP on Vancouver Island have arrested one man after a fire at an unfinished construction project. Sydney North Saanich RCMP say officers first responded to a report of a break and enter. But when they got there, the building was on fire. One man was still on the scene and has been arrested for arson. Police say this is an isolated incident. They say they're not looking for any other suspects. If you have any information, you are asked to call RCMP. Christmas postponed by a sliding slope. Residents demand some accountability after the collapse of a retaining wall. That's next on the News Hour. A nearly forgotten shipwreck near the shores of a lake in Ontario. Later on the News Hour. And trouble in paradise. The latest on Canadian families who can't get home from their vacations. Later. Right now, the residents of a Langley condo building are now on their third day without power and are looking for answers after a retaining wall on a neighboring property collapsed. As Amadagahi reports, they feel their concerns about the site went ignored for months. Work is back up and running. Those on the job seemingly unbothered by a clearly visible collapsed section of the shoring wall at the site of a Langley apartment building under construction. And here has cracks in her ceiling. But things are anything but normal for the residents of the neighboring condo building who are left to deal with the aftermath of this construction mishap. It's been pretty traumatizing for a lot of people. Early on Christmas Day, some people living just meters away from where the ground has literally cracked heard the noise coming from beneath the earth. It was extremely loud, cracking and 
it's all I can say. It sounded like like somebody abominable snowman was walking. The result was this. Holy f look at that. They're trying to say that this happened because of all the wet weather, the snow, the freezing, then the melt. That was just the catalyst that made it finally happen, but it definitely was on its way before that. Barb Kettle says for months now there had been indication the ground was unstable, but their letters to the developer went unanswered. And this isn't even the first time ground on the perimeter of the site has caved in. Just wanted to see if we can get more information from you on what the next step is for the folks here. Our calls to penny-farthing apartments requesting an on-camera interview went unanswered. Meanwhile, some residents have left their suites because the incident has cut power. And unfortunately, that had a very significant impact on some of our underground electrical equipment. BC Hydro says it's not safe for its crews to fix the problem, so it is working around the clock to reroute electricity to the building. Meanwhile, residents who have now lost trees on their side of the fence have been told by the developer that there is no further risk to the stability of their property. Do you have faith in the integrity of the border of this property? Not at this time, and I'm not sure that I will for a while. Imadagahi, Global News. Coming up, the end of free returns. Suddenly, some of the accountants started taking a look at what the cost, the true cost was of taking these items back. How retailers are trying to recoup their losses at your expense. And a global news year in review with a dramatic end of the trial seeking justice for Amanda Todd. Shoppers have taken advantage of free online returns so much through the pandemic it became the unofficial industry standard. But as the costs add up for retailers, some are now charging customers to send items back. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more. Anne? Thanks, Sophie. Earlier this year, Canada Post surveyed 5,000 Canadians for its online shopper report. Turns out 82% of online shoppers found free returns influence their buying decisions. But now some retailers are pushing back on a practice that's apparently costing them millions of dollars. Now, when COVID hit and triggered a massive shift to online shopping, retail analysts say customers were indirectly trained by online sellers that they could buy multiple sizes of clothing or pillows of different colors, for example, and then ship anything they didn't want back for free. Consumers, in turn, became more savvy. And according to retail strategist David Ian Gray, free online returns became the accidental standard. The cost to retailers varies, but Gray says it can be as high as 22% of the cost of the item due to the labor involved in shipping and restocking. And too many retailers were finding out they were losing so much money in big volumes of online transactions where consumers were buying multiples and sending two back out of the three items that to have two of three pairs of shoes come back with each order it's not sustainable all retailers are going to have to find one way or another that they reduce and control the cost of of returns it's out of hand and it's uh, incredibly damaging to their margins and their bottom line 
And here are some examples. Abercrombie and Fitch is now charging a $7 fee for online returns in Canada. Foot Locker Canada is deducting $6.99 from customers' online refunds to cover costs. And since September of 2020, Uniqlo Canada has been charging a just under $10 fee for all online returns. Now, only a handful of Canadian companies are charging to have items ordered online shipped back, but many more are expected to follow this trend. Besides charging consumers a fee to cover the costs associated with online returns, some retailers are encouraging in-store returns or shortening the timeline for returns from, for example, 45 days to 30 days from the date of purchase. Either way, the landscape to return items is certainly changing. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Maybe we'll lead to more conscious shopping and we'll see what happens. Thank you. Travel chaos continues for a lot of Canadians trapped in vacation hotspots with no way home. Sunwing cancelled flights due to severe weather. And Global's Lexi Benedict has more on the trouble in paradise. It's a Christmas nightmare for Canadians traveling with Sunwing. Like no sleep, no food, no water. It was just completely inhumane how that's the best way I can describe it. Flight delays, missing luggages, loud chanting. It's chaos as some Canadians are stuck in Mexico due to flight delays. Nobody is taking responsibility for what has happened to thousands of people. You have ruined vacation for thousands of people. Traveler Noah Calberry took a video inside the Cancun International Airport, where some have reportedly been sleeping for almost three days. Calberry paid for an extra flight home, which he felt was the only choice. Not everybody can do that, right? If you have a family of four or five kids, you're looking at an extra two to three thousand dollars. But for those who couldn't find a quicker way home, they were all like lying on the floor on the airport, and there was no water. Some stores, some restaurants were charging $15 for a small water bottle, and even that got over. In a statement to Global News, Sunwing says in part that a number of flights continue to be impacted due to the aftermath of severe weather disruptions. This experience of getting back via Sunwing, it's, it's a nightmare. Uh, sleeping outside the airport uh, on, the, on the road, literally on the road, and it was raining. So it was all messy, it was cold, and people were like treated like they, they did something wrong. Calberry says he and other travelers are fighting to get compensation from Sunwing. Lexi Benedict, Global News. Coming up, officer down, the manhunt for suspects accused of killing a member of the OPP. Also tonight, a vigil for murdered women and pressure to add femicide to the Canadian Criminal Code. Two people are now in custody after an Ontario provincial police officer was shot and killed in Hagersville, south of Hamilton. Just at around 2.40 this afternoon, a Haldeman County OPP officer responded to a vehicle in a ditch at Indian Line and Concession 14 in Walpole. Upon arrival, so I had to say that the officer was shot and was transported to a local hospital with life-threatening injuries. The OPP has identified the fallen officer as 28-year-old Provincial Constable Greg Pierce-Challa. In an emergency alert issued this evening, the OPP said 25-year-old Randall McKenzie 
and a woman who's not yet been identified were seen fleeing from the scene and were considered armed and dangerous. A shelter-in-place order for nearby residents has been lifted. A vehicle of interest was also identified, a black 2021 Chevy pickup. Police continue to investigate. A somber vigil in downtown Vancouver today, mourning women who are believed to have been murdered by their partners. Holding signs with the names of those who were slain, participants are also demanding change from the province regarding how it reports violence against women. Jasmine Bala reports. Amber Cooley, she was a 43-year-old woman, a mother from Chilliwack. She was murdered in the summer. A silent vigil mourning the women who were murdered or allegedly killed by their current or ex-partner this year. We want people to know their names. There were mothers, there were sisters, there were friends, there were women in the community, and we don't want them to be forgotten. The Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter has counted at least 10 women who were believed to be murdered by their male partners. But the battered women's support services says they've tracked 24 femicide cases this year alone. We think it's double, at least from what we've had in previous years. Uh, again, the numbers are difficult to track in the sense that we can't track them officially. Just this month, in the span of one week, three women were killed. Harpreet Corgill, Stephanie Forrester and Dominga Santos. All three cases suspected to involve intimate partners or a family member. Information on these murders was released by police and covered by media. And while those are easy to track, McDougall says other femicides can fly under the radar. That's why we want the death panel review, is so that we can get those official numbers. Because we notice, of course, coming out of the pandemic, that we've had some shifts in the culture, and we think that that means that there's been more killings. McDougall has sent this letter to the chief coroner asking for a death panel review into why the femicide rate has gone up and what can be done to prevent intimate partner violence deaths. Back at the vigil, another request for the province. We want the chief coroner of British Columbia to release to the public every time a woman is murdered by her male partner. Calls for more information after what was a deadly year for women in the province. Jasmine Global News. Well, a few local stories in 2022 captured global attention, like the tragic story of Amanda Todd and her mother's search for justice. The teen was a victim of cyber sextortion and intimidation before she took her own life. And a decade later, the trial of her tormentor came to a dramatic conclusion. Romina Dea has this look back. There's nothing like the smell of a courtroom on verdict day. The tension, the nerves, there's so much at stake for both sides of the bench. In the Amanda Todd case, everyone was gobsmacked when the jury delivered its verdict a decade after it all began. This one YouTube video posted by the tormented teen weeks before she ended her life at home in Port Coquitlam, B.C. in 2012 sparked a global movement to help protect children from online sexual predators. Ten years later, Amanda Todd's story arrives on the steps of B.C. Supreme Court. This is Amanda's moment to say something and, and to do something and hopefully... Um, the right outcome will come about. 
The teen's parents horrified when they first see pornographic images of their daughter online. They tried desperately to keep Amanda off the internet. Amanda loved to sing. She started posting online at an early age because she wanted to be famous. Crown tells the jury Amanda was the victim of a persistent campaign of online sexual blackmail for three years. Amanda, the tender age of 12, when the threats begin. Look, Cam whore, you better do as you are told or I blank up your life bad. You got that blank? I already have 17 people in your family, 52 schoolmates and teachers of your school. I can send them this instant or you do as I say. Crown argues only one man, 44-year-old Dutch citizen Aiden Coben, is behind 22 fake user accounts. Coben was extradited to Canada in December 2020. He pleads not guilty to all five counts. Possession of child pornography, possession of child pornography for the purpose of distribution, extortion, child luring and criminal harassment. Members of the public, they probably want blood and they assume because my client is charged that he must be guilty. Uh, this case is about whether the Crown can prove who's behind the messages that were sent to Amanda Todd. Multiple investigators with the Dutch National Police fly to BC to testify about Operation Disclosure. Inside cabin 55 in the Netherlands, officers seize passport photos, cash and multiple computer hard drives. It was the most complex trial that I have uh, ever followed. The poor jury, they were given a very difficult job with a lot of information and a lot of it really technical information, talking about IP addresses and routers and things like that, that um, you know, the average person would really have a hard time with. So it was um, unclear to us what way this trial was going to go based on how complicated it was. Global News winning a court challenge to have copies of the crucial exhibits released to the public. Despite the seismic amount of evidence, it is circumstantial. Roughly 80 exhibits, 30 witnesses. After two months at trial, the jury begins deliberating on a Friday afternoon. I fear the low sentence. Um, I'm glad to get closure. I'm glad it's going to come to an end. If I hear six months on each count, that's, that's, to me, that's not really justice. Less than 24 hours after deliberations begin, Amanda's mother lets out a huge yes as the jury foreperson reads the words guilty five times. It's just a, a culmination of... of what Amanda endured and the truths of it all. This case is precedent setting around the world. This is not what we hoped for or expected. Uh, and now we need to consider our options. The media now permitted to reveal Coben's dark past. He's currently serving an almost 11-year sentence in the Netherlands for similar crimes against 33 children, some as young as nine. It's important context. The way our, our legal system works is that you can't hold... Uh, people's previous crimes against them for the crime they're being tried now. He crushed the lives of Amanda and 34 other young people. They have trauma for the rest of their lives. An equally stunning sentence follows weeks later. Justice Devlin sentencing Coben to 13 years, higher than the 12 years Crown asks for. That was amazing. So I'm ha really happy about that. You don't know. Anything about me. 
Devlin praising Amanda's courage, ruling a severe sentence is necessary to deter online child predators. We did it. We did it for you. We did it for everyone. Colbin has been returned to the Netherlands as part of the terms of surrender. He has two years left on his Dutch sentence. I spoke to a contact overseas who says he could get little or no time in Amanda's case because it essentially mirrors the Dutch one. It's now up to a Dutch judge to decide. Romina Dea, Global News. China is experiencing the pandemic all over again, but this time it's worse. And the fear is with so many new cases, new variants could emerge that threaten the rest of the world. Hospitals are overwhelmed. There are reports of emergency rooms turning away ambulances and relatives of sick people searching for open beds. One hospital in Shanghai told its staff last week to prepare for a, quote, tragic battle with COVID, as it expects half of the city's 25 million people will become infected by the end of this week. China's Health Commission reported there were more than 390,000 confirmed COVID cases with symptoms last week, but said it's not publishing daily COVID numbers from Sunday because of doubts about the data's reliability. Coming up, a mysterious shipwreck. I saw what looked like the ribs of a large wooden boat. The rediscovery of an important part of Ontario's steamship history. And Buffalo and other western New York cities buried by a deadly winter storm. Happy Holidays, from all of us here at Global BC. Well, days after one of the most powerful winter storms in years swept across the U.S., the death toll has climbed to near 60, most of them in Buffalo. The storm trapped many at airports in a crisis that continues to unfold. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. From afar, snow-covered streets and front porches in Buffalo, New York, appear picturesque. Up close, it's a much more frightening reality, with vehicles buried and lives in danger. This blizzard is the one for the ages. Certainly it is the blizzard of the century. Officials say highways and border crossings are reopening, but a state of emergency remains in effect, and the White House has authorized a disaster declaration. Anyone who declares victory and says it's over, it is way too early to say... The biting winds and record snowfall have left dozens dead in Buffalo, with the National Guard assisting in search and rescue operations. This could have been worse, and I just want to commend all the people that stepped up. Buffalo's airport also remains closed through at least Wednesday. And while this destructive storm stole the holiday season from so many travelers, trapping hundreds of thousands, we do not have rebooking options. Passengers on America's Southwest Airlines were dealt a double blow. At this time, we expect additional cancellations over the upcoming days. Thousands of the airline's flights were cancelled after its crews and planes fell behind schedule as the storm snowballed operational delays. We didn't get any text or any message telling us it was cancelled before we came. The U.S. Department of Transportation calls the service disruption unacceptable and says it will look into whether cancellations were controllable. It's just the sheer size of the storm as it grew, moving from west to east. A storm that, while slowly starting to release its grip, will leave lasting scars. Reggie Chikini, Global News. All right, we're not out of the woods around here yet either, although 
there are better days ahead. Yvonne Shell is here with a look at the weather forecast. Yeah, and we've got a bright spot in the long-range forecast, but first, we still need to get through the rainfall this evening. The potential's there for still localized flooding. We're watching king tides uh, picking up uh, for the morning hours, but there is that wave of moisture right across the lower mainland, extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Very windy conditions with the wind warning remaining in effect along the western edge of the island, Victoria, where we could still see some of those gusts up to over, over 100 kilometers per hour. Here's a nice break, though. This is what we're anticipating through the day for tomorrow and then the next system developing will be a juicy one and that'll bring heavy rainfall once again Thursday and leading in towards our Friday. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, a winter storm warning is still in effect for the Kootenai Pass. We are looking at the potential for freezing rain, ice pellets and still additional snowfall amounts this evening and leading in towards tomorrow. The Sea to Sky, it looks like it'll taper off to flurries as well as the Coquihalla and Rogers Pass with additional amounts in towards tomorrow. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions but we're still seeing additional rain, snowfall there and rainfall along the southern half of the province. Now the northern areas will see a break through the day tomorrow, just a chance for some showers. Much of the central and southern interior will still see flurries. Much of the southern interior is where we're actually seeing some rain mixed with snow as temperatures get above the freezing mark. It's the mountain passes and along the Kootenai Pass that we still have heavy snowfall. Whistler will still see a few isolated flurries and then much of the southern half of the province for coastal areas, mainly cloudy with a few isolated showers. Through the day tomorrow, we've got a range between four areas closer to the water will bump up to seven break for tomorrow heavy rain starts to pick up once again we'll be tracking that for thursday friday bright spot in the forecast so far looks to be on our saturday underneath the mix of sun and cloud tonight's weather window a shot that was taken of the king tides in vancouver and this one was captured by kelly guys amazing photo mm -hmm. shows how deep that water is and how high the tide is thanks very much yvonne all right, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. What do you have? What do well, you have, um, for the Canucks, this is Shark Week. <laughs> and tonight's episode is the used to be dangerous, but not as much as they used to be San Jose Shark. It'll be very, very educational. We'll talk about that game. And also, I'm going to show you one of the great rants of all time, even though it happened two years ago. There's a reason. You'll find out. I look forward to that. Thanks, Squire. Also coming up tonight, the forgotten relic of Bob Cage in Ontario and the effort to preserve its history. Join Squire Barnes as he brings us the best of 2022 from the pitch, the ring, the track, the court, the rink, and everywhere in between. Squire's Plays of the Year on BC1. You won't be disappointed. Well, it's must-see TV. I was just going to say, uh, in that promo, which I've never seen before, there's a play in that promo that's not in Plays of the Year. Oh, really? Might need <laughs> to put it in. Very odd. Yeah. Okay, I don't know how that got in there, but okay. <laughs> uh, I won't tell you which one. You'll have to watch it to find out. Right. Uh, we're going to start here with a quirky Canucks stat. Two times this season, Vancouver has won three in a row, and every time the third win came against San Jose, which is the team they're going to play at Rogers Arena tonight. And if the Canucks win this game, they will have won three in a row. Of course, this game is at home. 
And that's not been where the Canucks have won most of their games. They seem a lot more comfortable away from Rogers Arena, which is, when you think about it, another quirky stat about this season. The Canucks are harder to figure out than the plot of Donnie Darko. Jay has a preview of tonight's game. Vancouver Canucks back from a very short Christmas break. Of course, prior to Christmas time, they scored back-to-back victories, first against the Seattle Kraken here on home ice, then the following night in Edmonton where they scored five unanswered to beat the Edmonton Oilers. Tonight they get the San Jose Sharks, and the Canucks find themselves six points back of the Calgary Flames for the final wildcard spot in the Western Conference. But the Vancouver Canucks have to figure things out here on home ice. We've seen them play very well on the road where they're 9-6-2, but here at Rogers Arena, they're just 6-9-1. It's puzzling how some games at home we look like, you know, we're horrible. And then some games on the road we look like we're unbeatable. And uh, uh, you just like to meld it together and get that consistency uh, all the time. But right now we haven't got it, but the, there's still lots of time to get that consistency. You know, I, I think uh, on the road I think we simplify our game a little bit more and we don't, um, you know, I don't know if we just press too hard at home to... Um, to try to get wins, but I mean, for us, I think if we have that kind of road mindset coming into tonight and simplify things and and uh, play well defensively like we did, uh, you know, before the break, I think it's going to you know benefit us a lot. Scoring goals for the Vancouver Canucks has not been a problem this season, but defending, we all know it has been an issue. Only the Anaheim Ducks have allowed more goals against than the Vancouver Canucks in their 129 goals against. They need to be better defensively. They know that. Spencer Martin will start tonight. Of course, he made 10 straight starts prior to getting the night off in Edmonton. Listen, in this league, he hasn't made more than two straight starts. So, I mean, it was a, uh, a difficult task we gave him and a uh, difficult task mentally. And so, I mean, to have that, that time off and, and for Delia to come in and do as well as he did, I mean, that's a great relief, uh, I'm sure, for Spencer. And hopefully that little break has helped him out and... Uh, uh, and he'll be he'll be back to form tonight. He has 10-5-1 and one in the 16 games he's played, which is, you know, I'd like to have that winning percentage right now. A couple of roster notes for you. Travis Dermott, the Canucks defenseman, who's yet to play a game for the Canucks after suffering a concussion during training camp, skated once again for the team. Thatcher Demko seems to be getting better. Bruce Boudreau hoping that Demko will come back sometimes in January. It's the Canucks and Sharks from Rogers Arena tonight, 7 o'clock, with your ringside report, Jay Janwer, Global Sports. This young man could be the first draft pick in the 2038 NHL draft. You never know. Canada against Davos today at the Spengler Cup. Bad start for the Canadians. They're falling down, and Andrew Rowe is taking advantage. And it's 1-0 for the home team. This is where the tournament is held. I think that guy won the uh, won a lookalike contest for... Uh, who was the guy in Texas Ranger? Walker, Texas Ranger. Mm -hmm. What was his name? Chuck. Chuck, Chuck Norris, of course. Chuck oh, Norris. I've seen that look on Travis Green back in November of last year. It's 2-0 for Davos. Then uh, Brett Connolly of Prince George, who has scored every Canada goal at this tournament so far. Every Canadian goal makes it 2-1. And he has a chance here to tie it late in the game. No, he does not. And once again, mm, that look on Travis Green's face. Canada 0-2. But every team in this tournament gets in the playoffs. So there's still a chance. Nathan Rourke has apparently worked out for possibly as many as eight NFL teams in December. He may visit more NFL teams in January. He's told the Lions he'd like to give them an answer about his future as soon as possible. As we've said before, those who work for the Lions that we've talked to privately said they'd love to have him back, obviously, but they'd be very surprised if he comes back. 
They'd be surprised if an NFL team doesn't sign him. Speaking of the NFL, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, J.J. Watt of the Arizona Cardinals is retiring at the end of this season. He had his best years with the Houston Texans. Not only an incredible player, he did incredible charity work. Once he raised $37 million for hurricane victims in the city of Houston, Texas. And he also put together one of the best pro fan rants ever when he was with Houston. This is when the uh, Texans were in the midst of a terrible season a couple of years ago. I want to show you it because this can translate to all sports and it's timeless. Watch. We're four and 11 and there's fans that watch this game that show up to the stadium that put in time and energy and effort and care about this. So if you can't go out there and you can't work out, you can't show up on time, you can't practice, you can't want to go out there and win, you shouldn't be here because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're four and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bull Well, I would second what he says. I just won't say what he said. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great but, that, but what he was saying was, you know, fans come out. They're paying their money. They're not getting paid to play. We're getting paid millions of dollars. Come on. I mean, yeah, he's not wrong. You know, show up every game and do something. Yeah, hope he is not wrong. The Canucks are busy right now, but they got to watch that mm -hmm. too, right? It's all. There's a lot of athletes constantly. who should watch that. You got it. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, how a simple stroll by the lake revealed a piece of history in one Ontario town. All right, Kamal Karamali is standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Kamal? Sophie, with the warming temperatures, not only are we seeing plenty of flooding, but also increased avalanche risks. North Shore Rescue has said there's an elevated risk for avalanches across many parts of the province. The Sea to Sky has already seen a few larger avalanches over the weekend. A full breakdown on that, plus a date detainee being held at the immigration holding uh, and a push for answers on why he died. All of that on Global News at 11. All right, we'll look for you then. Thanks, Kamal. Just 90 minutes northeast of Greater Toronto, a Bob Cajun man is sparking interest in his town's history. He stumbled on a forgotten relic sunk near the shore of a local lake, and it's offering a glimpse into the area's humble beginnings. Isn't every day you stumble upon a lost piece of history, but that's exactly what happened to Bob Cajun resident James Rowe back in spring. He recounts it was during a walk along the shoreline of a lake when he saw what looked to be an old boat ramp peeking out from the water. And then I walked a little bit beyond that, maybe 10 or 15 feet, and then I saw what looked like the ribs of a large wooden boat. I took my drone out to see what it was and it ended up being a hundred foot long shipwreck. Roe began working to identify what he had found, researching old ships that served the region. 
but it wasn't until he partnered with the Maryborough Lodge Museum and the Boyd Heritage Museum, the wreckage was actually found 20 years ago, but was since forgotten. They found out that it was called the Bobakaj. Rowe says the history of Bob Cajun is tied closely with the Moss and Boyd Company sawmill. The business carved out a piece of land from Canada's wilderness to call home back in the early 1830s. By the 1860s, the village had grown and logging efforts expanded to the point the village was ready for its first resident steamship, named the Novelty. Rowe says that ship was integral to sawmill operations, towing lumber and carrying people and livestock across the lakes to Boyd Island. It survived fires, it survived arsons, it survived a tornado once, uh, boiler tanks exploding, uh, it nearly sunk. Doing research on this, you find scattered evidence of a ship with a lot of history that's, that's basically hidden in many different places. In 1878, the novelty would be renamed and relaunched as the Bobakaj, a name derived from local folklore. The vessel finally retired in 1903, ending its more than 40-year run. Rowe then says the Bobakaj was stripped of useful parts and then left to rot in the water. It's a really important surviving piece of history that we have left. There, uh, there, there are other shipwrecks in the area, an important company that was in the area. Without the sawmill, Bob Cajun probably wouldn't be anything like it is today. The exact location of this wreckage remains under wraps while Rowe works to protect the site. He says come summer next year, he will be teaming up with a Trent University diver to confirm the ship's identity as the Bobakaj. After that, he says visitors could be allowed in to have a glimpse into Bob Cajun's humble beginnings. Sam Haupt, Global News. And now we all have tragically hip stuck in our heads. Right? Bob Cajun. <laughs> we even saw Bob Cajun man in, this, in yeah. the story. Yeah, I mean, that's not a... Terrible thing to have stuck in your head, though. Oh, it's good. Pretty thing. good. It's iconic. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so Zivon with her weather forecast right now. And uh, yeah, look at what to expect in the next couple of days here. We'll still be on flood watch. Uh, keep that in mind, especially with the king tide for tomorrow morning. We are going to see a brief break from the heavy rainfall through the day tomorrow. Even a few uh, sunny breaks will be embedded within that. It's Thursday, Friday, the next round of rain, and then in the long range as we look ahead towards our Saturday. But still a heads up. We will be still, st still seeing some windy conditions for areas that are closer to the water as well. All right. Good luck to the Canucks tonight too, right, Squire? Yes, I, I like their chances in this game. I know people are probably saying, oh, you're going to jinx them, but no, I still like your chances. <laughs> Sportscasters jinx. It is a thing. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.